We're going to read from the first chapter of Mark, chapter 1, the first 15 verses, which goes like this. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send a messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight his paths for him. And so, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. As this was his message, after me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as Jesus was coming out of the water, he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, with whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once, the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and the angels attended him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe in the good news. This is the word of God for we, the people of God. Will you take a minute? Will you pause and will you pray for Keith and for yourself to receive this message? Uh, God, you are the one and only. And it truly is you who we come to worship. And as we sang this morning, we are simply thankful and humbled by the fact that you would come as yourself incarnate in Jesus Christ to live among us. And so we pray, Lord, that we might be true to that reality, that we might be true to that which is pure and righteous and holy, and that we might live out our baptismal vows Allow us, Lord, to become that who we should be. Bless, Father, we pray. Pastor Keith, as he stands to speak, he is never afraid, Lord, to speak your words. So empower us with ears to hear them. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Good morning. Well, I don't know how to live up to that, you know. <clears throat> Been a lot of preachers come through here, that's for sure, and... and uh, I'm glad to be one of them, I can tell you that much. So, um, last week, if you were here, we heard about this voice of God coming down at Jesus' transfiguration. If you missed last week, you can read about the transfiguration, but basically what happened was Peter, James, and John went up with Jesus on the mountain, and there Jesus was transfigured before them, and his true glory was revealed to them, and he became shining, bright, radiant, and Moses and Elijah appeared there with him, and Peter, James, and John were like, wow, we didn't know you were that amazing. And the voice of God bellowed from the heavens and said, this is my son, my beloved son, listen to him. Well, There's another time in the scripture, as we've read this morning, where the voice of God the Father is heard by all, and this occurs here in Mark's gospel at at Jesus' baptism. So why does God's voice 
happen in these moments in that way. Well, at the transfiguration, the glory of Jesus was revealed. While at the baptism of Jesus, his identity was revealed. I want you to think in terms of identity and glory. You see, baptism changes who you are, according to Scripture. Baptism is the moment in time when you move from being a child of wrath to a child of God. It's the moment in time when our sin that we inherited from our, our, our sinful parents, Adam and Eve, who disobeyed God in the garden, that sin nature was transferred to us. Baptism is the moment when God washes that away from us. And we are transformed from death into life. That's where we receive our gospel identity. Whereas the glory of God comes into your life when you live into that identity. Because you can easily forget who you are. And if you forget who you are, then who you are doesn't do you much good. But when you realize who you are, and you realize the identity that you have in Christ, and you live into that identity, amazing things can happen. And that's what we saw in the baptism and the transfiguration. Now, immediately after Jesus' gospel identity was revealed in the the baptism, an interesting thing happens. It says in the Scriptures that he's led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. So, immediately after this moment of identification and, and... Gospel identity revealed. Now Jesus is led into, the, into, the, into the, the desert to be tempted. And following the temptation comes the transfiguration. So it's like this. Identity, trials and tribulations, and then glory. That's the, the timeline that we see here in the text. And then after Jesus returns, he goes and preaches this, this message. And what is his message? His message is... The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Now, the good news is the gospel. Repent and believe the good news. So what does it mean to repent and believe the good news? And why must we do that? To repent means that you change your thinking. That's the simple definition of repentance. It means change your thinking. Now, oftentimes we think repent means to change what you do. And one leads to the other, at least it's supposed to, but it all starts with your thinking. And what Jesus didn't tell people to do was, hey, just be good. Here are the rules, keep the rules, figure it out, you've heard them, just keep them, and everything is good. That's not the message of Jesus Christ. Jesus' message was to repent and believe something. Jesus' message, first and foremost, comes to our understanding about who God is and who we are, and our relation to it. And that happens up here. It doesn't happen out here. It starts here, and then it works its way out. But you know as well as anybody that if you don't change the way you think about something, it's really difficult to to change your behavior with regard to that, isn't it? I mean, how many of us have tried to, you know, do something differently in maybe our finances or our health, but we haven't really changed the way that we've thought, and we've just sort of tried to summon up enough willpower to create a way where we can go against what we think, you know? I think I'm really hungry for, you know, a big pile of cheeseburgers, right? But I'm going to work really hard to eat that stupid salad instead. 
right? If my mindset is, well, I really, really value and crave and want that, that's way better than this over here. It's just a matter of time, isn't it, before I'm going to find my way back over here. I was with a guy yesterday. We were working on a project for, for many hours, and I'd noticed throughout the whole day he hadn't eaten anything. We'd offered him food and stuff. He says, nope. And finally, at the end, of the, at the, you know, towards the later parts of the day, he said, well, I'm really trying to lose weight, so uh, I decided that I'm going to fast on Saturdays, and then I'm just going to eat whatever I want on Sundays. <clears throat> And I thought, boy, that's not going to work. But um, we're, we're, we're there, and, and about 7 o'clock, uh, he just, we're working on something, and he just goes, forget this. I'm just going to be fat. Where are the chips? <laughs> and, and he did, because he just couldn't, his, his mind was telling him, his thinking was telling him, you know, I, I, I can do that. I need that. I need that. See, if we don't change the way we think, it's really hard to change our behavior and what our life looks like. Now, how does this intersect with the gospel and with Jesus commands to us. You see, the good news, the gospel is this, that God has become a man, that God came to us in the person of Jesus Christ to save us. That salvation is a work of God through Jesus Christ. That's the good news. Now, what could you possibly need to change about your thinking to receive that? I mean, it sounds like, oh yeah, sure, I can get that, but that's, that's something that we have to consider. Is there anything about how we think that contradicts the message of the gospel. I think there are potentially some things that we could think that do, whether we realize it or not. For, for example, let me give you one, a common way that we think sometimes. And here's the question. Can you earn your way to God versus receiving the grace of God? Can you earn your way? Some folks believe if they just go to church and do the good Methodist stuff or the good Baptist stuff or whatever it might be, if, you know, that I can do these things and because I've done them, that, you know, I'll be, I'll be okay. I can earn my way to God. Because that's what we do, right? We work hard and we earn stuff. And if that's the way that it works in the world, of course that's the way that it works with God. So we do the church thing. We give. We serve. We, we, we make that our life. And we think, okay, I've done it. Now you might say, well, how does that contradict the gospel? Well, the gospel never says, work hard so that God will approve of you. Never says that. The gospel says that you do not earn your way to God. God comes to you. Salvation is a gift. It's the grace of God. It's a free gift given by God that we must receive. Now, if we believe that it's a gift, then we can't treat it like it's our pay. You understand the difference? I don't give thanks. Like, when I get my paycheck from the church, I don't go, oh, wow, thank you so much. I mean, I'm thankful for it, but I don't treat it as though it was a gift given to me because I've worked for it, right? Do you treat your paycheck that way? Probably not. But if someone were to take the equivalent of one month's pay that you receive and hand it to you as a gift, you'd be like, wow, that's amazing, right? Because you knew that you didn't earn that, you see. Now, if they did that for you, you might be inclined to, uh, you know, reciprocate and love and serve that person and be grateful. Think of salvation that way. You know, salvation is given to you as a gift. It's given to us as a gift, not worked for. Our response to that gift is gratitude and love and service and obedience. But it's contradictory to gospel thinking to believe that we earn that gift by 
being good, you see? So that's one way that we might need to repent of our gospel thinking. Because, you know, that can get ugly, can't it? Because if we work really hard and we don't get what we think God should give us, we can get pretty angry, can't we? Hey, God, I did this stuff for you. Why isn't my life going better? You know? In a nutshell, that's, that's a lot of ministry right there. People coming to us and saying stuff like that. God, I was good. Why did bad things happen to me? God, I prayed. Why did my loved one still pass away? God, I, I worked hard. Why am I struggling? Repent and believe the gospel. Understand that salvation is given to you as a gift, that you didn't earn that. Now, that's one way to, to, to change our thinking. Maybe another one is, is a little bit different than that. But maybe some of us think that no matter what we do, we could never earn God's love because we're just so bad, right? Maybe you've messed up in your life. Maybe you've done things that are really, really horrible and you know it. And you feel in your heart that no matter what you do, you could never make up for what you've done. So your, your mindset is this, oh, I'm unworthy. Huh, I could never be accepted by God. I could never be, be a true child of God because of the sins that I've committed and therefore, I'm going to stay alienated from God. Have you ever felt like that before? Have you ever looked at yourself and just went, man, you know what? I'm just unworthy. I'm just unworthy when I really think about who I am. When I know the things that, I, that go through my mind, when I know the inclinations that I have, or when I see the ways that I've failed, when I see the things that I should have done but didn't do, when I see the things that I knew I shouldn't have done but I still did them, when you reflect on those things, sometimes it can be easy to believe this, this idea that, that I'm not as good as other people. And therefore, God can't really love me. Jesus says, repent of that thinking. He says, I didn't come to save you because you were so good. The Bible says that while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. The message of the gospel is this. He comes to us at our worst to extend his grace and mercy and love to us. So no matter how far you've gone, no matter how bad what you've done is, you've never strayed farther than the grace of God can go. You've never, you can't out-sin the grace of God, the Bible tells us. So remember that. If that's kept you from a relationship with God, then Jesus says repent and believe the good news. Believe the good news that you can be saved. Believe the good news that God doesn't want anyone to perish. Believe the good news that God loves you. Believe that. One more example of a way we might need to change our thinking. And this is really more for the folks who, who, who aren't here among us this morning. I think the first two ways are ways that Christians need to repent sometimes of our thinking to believe the gospel. This third way is one where the world just sort of says, I don't need that whole church Jesus thing. Because do you believe that you don't need a Savior? Some people in the world, believe, they, they, look at, they look at you and me and they look at us and they go, boy, something must be really wrong with those people. That they get up every Sunday and they go to church. They must have some kind of guilt. They must have some kind of you know, problem they're trying to overcome. Because that's really the purpose of religion and, and faith is to turn you into a good person. And, and boy, I feel bad for those people who have to go to a church and listen to a preacher to try to learn how to be a good person. I don't need to do that because I'm already a good person. Right? I don't need church. I'm already a good person. So why would I need to go to church? I don't do bad things to people. I'm not as bad as some other people. 
So I'm okay. You ever, you ever meet people like that? You try to talk to them about church and God, and their, their mindset is, is about morality and some code that they've invented that they always live up to, okay? But that nobody else can seem to live up to. So they, they have this code for themselves that they've lived up to. Therefore, they don't need Jesus. You see, they think that by having avoided what they consider to be sin, that they can avoid Jesus. And Jesus says, look, you need to repent of that. That's not the right way to think. Because we're all sinners. We've all fallen short of God's glory. So that's the message of Jesus here. After his, his glory was, look, you need to change your thinking so that you can receive the good news so that you can be saved. So once that's, once that's in our minds, now let's look toward what happens at baptism, according to our scripture this morning. So number two would be this. We need to receive our gospel identity. Now that we believe the gospel, we receive our gospel identity in baptism. Baptism, ultimately, you want to know what it is? It's, it's, we, we don't really get this because oftentimes when we baptize babies, it's like this happy little moment, and it should be, okay? But what, you know what baptism is really about? It's about death. Baptism is, a, baptism is about death and resurrection. So do you consider yourself dead to your sin and your old life? You know, the Bible speaks this way. It says, take up your cross, die to self, put to death the flesh. In Galatians 2, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is not I who live, but Christ lives within me. Listen to how he writes this in Romans. He says, what shall we say? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. You see, we died to Christ in, with, with Christ in our baptism. And as we came out of the water, so to speak, we are reminded that he came out of the grave. We're put to death in baptism and we're raised to new life in baptism as we celebrate his resurrection. You see, that's an identity change. And you have to understand what happens in that. We believe as Christians that that's truly the moment where we become God's children. We're put to death, and the, 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 the stain of sin that we've inherited from our fleshly parents, Adam and Eve, is put to death. And as we're raised to new life, the grace of God washes, like, as Pastor Mike read in the text, not our physical bodies, but it washes our souls. See, that's why we don't get hung up on whether your whole body goes underneath and comes up, or whether we pour water or sprinkle water, because we're not saying that literally when your body is underwater, that's when your soul's transformed. We're, we're saying that that's what it represents. Now, I have got zero problem with full immersion baptism. I think it's a beautiful thing. I'm just saying that we understand that we're not physically washing anything off of our bodies. That has no spiritual significance. But what's happening is our souls are being washed. And in so doing, we receive that gospel identity we receive that title, child of God. So the life that we lived before is dead and gone. And this new life that we have becomes who we are. Now, 
What happens next? Number three is this. We endure trials and temptation. Immediately after Jesus' baptism, he's sent into the desert by the Spirit of God to endure trials and and temptations. And you and I have probably considered something similar to that. Maybe not as bad as what Jesus went through. Probably not. But in our own way, we as Christians still endure trials and temptations, don't we? Christianity does not save you from trials and temptations. It informs how you respond to them. Suffering is a part of life, but we as children of God must suffer well. We do not face these situations alone. We have the power and presence of Jesus with us. I'm reminded of the 23rd Psalm where David writes, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and staff comfort me. He doesn't say, well, because I have God in my life, I just skirt around the sufferings of life. He says, I walk right through them. But I don't walk through them alone. I'm comforted by the presence of God. If you're walking through a trial this morning, if you're walking through a temptation this morning, or grief this morning, Don't believe the mindset that says, somehow this means I have been separated from God. It's in those moments, oftentimes, we find the closest connection with God. Because the Bible says that God draws near to the brokenhearted. So as we draw to Him near during our times of trial and temptation, He draws near to us. That's how we get through them, you see. We must remember that. But there's always a backside to that. There's the moment that we walk through that. There's the moment that we emerge from that, that we come through that. And in doing so, number four, we share in the glory of Jesus as we continue to listen to him. That's what the voice said on the Mount of Transfiguration. said, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Right? It's at the top of the mountain here where Jesus' father echoes the words of Jesus' mother in Cana of Galilee when she said to the servants who were to fill the water in the jugs that would be turned to wine, listen to him. So we have from Jesus' father, listen to him. We have from Jesus' mother, listen to him. What more do we need, right? The voice from heaven to boom down around us? Listen to him. This is what was revealed in his glorious moment. But it's not divorced from suffering, you see. Paul writes to the the church in 2 Thessalonians who were enduring incredible persecution and suffering. He says to them, He, Jesus, called you to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of Lord Jesus Christ. And then in Romans 8, 17, he writes, Now if we are children, because of our baptism, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ if indeed we share in his sufferings and that we also may share in his glory. Too many times we want to bypass the suffering and just go right to the glory. But remember this, the Mount of Transfiguration was a mountain. It wasn't a spa. It wasn't an oasis of transfiguration. It was a mountain and they had to climb that mountain. Now we here in Iowa, we we don't comprehend that, right? 
Think of it as a blizzard of transfiguration if you need to. Okay? A snowdrift of transfiguration. You've got to climb that mountain to get to the glory. That's a powerful thing to remember, isn't it? The glory of Christ only comes through the suffering of Christ. We partake in Jesus Christ in the most intimate way when we celebrate Holy Communion, right? And that's a remembrance of His suffering. That's when He's here with us in those moments. That's when we commune with God as we remember His suffering. The glory of God is intimately connected to the suffering of God. And the glory of the Christian is intimately connected with the suffering of Christ, right? The suffering of Christ, not your suffering, Christ's suffering. Our suffering is offered up to God in in, in submission to God, but we unite our suffering with his suffering because it's what his suffering produced that brings us glory. We suffer with him when we suffer. So the relationship there continues throughout our lives. You know, I, I saw this movie the other night that, that really like caused me to think about even this sermon. It, it really took me and, and really inspired me in a way. I don't know if you've seen it. It's a movie um, called Hacksaw Ridge. It just came out. Um, I think it's up for some Academy Awards. And it's a true story about a man named Desmond Doss who served in World War II as a conscientious, object, did I say that right? conscientious objector. You see, he was a Christian, and he believed that when the Bible says, thou shalt not kill, that that applied in every circumstance, including war. So he entered the military and refused to even hold a rifle, which of course led to great persecution among his commanding officers and his colleagues in his his unit. They hated him. They beat him. They threatened him. They called him a coward. They said that their lives would be endangered if he continued in his service. And yet, through one, one unbelievable coincidence after another or so, he still went through as a medic and served in Okinawa, where he single-handedly saved 75 men who were wounded on top of this ridge. At great risk to his own life, he lowered these men down one by one. After everyone else had fallen back and retreated, he remained alone at the top of this mountain, this ridge, and went after these men who were wounded on the battlefield and single-handedly carried 75 of them down to safety. It was an incredible story. He saved 75 men without firing a single shot. He remained true to his identity as a believer in Jesus. And he's the only person to ever receive the Medal of Valor as a conscientious objector. Talk about glory. Can you imagine a more glorious moment? But in order to receive that moment, he had to endure incredible persecution. He had to endure people threatening him and hurting him and, and, and all sorts of insults and suffering in, in every way. But because he stayed true to who he was throughout his trials, he received the glory. All right? That's a picture of you and I in our lives as Christians. I know we may think, my life looks nothing like that. But in in a real way, it should. In a real way, it should. Because as you go through life, 
convinced of your gospel identity, enduring the persecutions and the sufferings and the threats of this world, you have too the potential to save many souls. As you take people to Jesus, and in doing so, you're promised that glory. You can receive that medal of valor from God as you stand before him one day and he looks at you. You can say, look at these people that I carried down the mountain of sin and brought to you. But with, with, not without great suffering. The voice of God comes to us in our moments of identity saying, you are mine. The voice of God comes to us in the moments of glory when we've climbed the mountain, when we've endured the persecution, and he says, listen to him. Anything right now in your life you need to repent of in your thinking to live into your identity? Have you believed the lie that either you're so good that you don't need Jesus or you're so bad that he couldn't possibly love you? You know, most of our work, work in ministry is dealing with one of those two mindsets. And it's true for all of us, isn't it? We vacillate back and forth. Hey, there's a third way. It's this. Repent and believe the gospel. Receive the free gift of Jesus Christ in your life. Receive that identity he's given to you. Put to death your sinful identity and your sinful nature and receive who Jesus says you are. Get through everything you can in this life with him by your side and receive his glory as you suffer with him. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the word of God and for those who we look to in this life, Lord, and who have suffered well. Of course, yourself at the top of that list, Jesus. And we thank you for what you endured for our sake. May each of us today live into that identity that you've called us to, Lord, your sons and your daughters. Walk today, Lord, with those who are walking in that valley of shadow of death. Walk with them, Lord, through their suffering, through their pain. Walk with those who are being tempted. Lord, let them feel your presence right there with them, bringing them comfort, helping them make it through. Lord, help us get up that mountain so we can see and receive and share in that awesome glory. It's in your name we pray. Amen.